Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Hi, everyone. I'm on Skype uh, with Rebecca Kaufman, the Stife Gal down in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? It's a pleasure to be speaking with you this evening. Yes, thank you. And why am I calling you the Stife Gal? Why don't you tell our listeners why you are the Stife Gal? I am the Stife Gal because my absolute love and passion is Stife, which is the vintage German brand button ear teddy bear, animals, and dolls. I've been collecting Stife for the vast majority of my life, over 40 years. I blog about Stife. I work for Stife as a uh, consultant archivist, meaning I travel the country on behalf of the organization and identify and value Stife products for the company. I also write extensively about Stife for many media outlets. Wow. So this is this my Stife life is my blog, and that that truly describes uh, a good part of my life. So I love talking to people that are enthusiastic about what they do, and uh, I did meet you and. First of all, I have to say, 40 years, um, I can't believe you were, you mean at birth, or I'm, not, I'm surprised that you're even that old. Well, that, that's extremely kind of you, and thank you. My, my parents actually have a photograph of me at four days old, uh, adjacent to a teddy bear, so I really think it was a destiny that I, <laughs> that I, that I followed this, this passion. Yes, I've been collecting for a really, really long time. I'm the third-generation collector in my family. My grandmother uh, started the passion in the family uh, in the late 1920s, early 1930s, and I have several of her prized childhood collectibles. My father also was involved with the brand, and now it has landed upon me. I am the steward, and I'm trying very hard to get my nephews to engage with the brand as well. I give them each a piece uh, at holidays when I can if they have expressed interest in a specific type of animal. Nice, nice. Now, how did you actually get that position that you have with Stife? Um, about 10 years ago, I was uh, working in the advertising agency, and I was doing a tremendous amount of prospecting. And I would prospect organizations that were advertising uh, marketing positions um, because that would be an indication that they were looking for perhaps a new advertising agency. And I had been a Stife collector my whole life, and I noticed that Stife was advertising for a marketing manager. And I thought, well, I can either prospect that job for my organization, or I could prospect that job for myself. <laughs> and, and I got a little selfish, and I realized that truly would be a, a dream job at that point in my life. So I applied, um, like everybody else, through an ad in the paper at the time. This was about 10 years ago. And I, I took part of my collection to the interview, and I, I think that was probably what what persuaded them that I actually had a business sense about me, but I also truly was passionate about the brand and building community amongst collectors about the brand. Awesome. Now, have you been to Germany? 
Yes, I've been to Germany several times. Uh, my first, my very first responsibility for Steiff was to go on a trip to Germany along with um, some of our very best customers and 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 help uh, steward them through a trip to the factory, to the archives, and through uh, what was known at the time as Steif, as Schulte, which is now known as Steiff Mohair, which is the company that makes the mohair for the Steiff products. That was my first experience there, and that truly was, I, I would say, a highlight of my life next to something like my wedding. Uh, but it's a pretty it's a pretty close second. You could but, have done them both <laughs> at the same time, you know. Got I, I could have. As a matter of fact, I'm taking my husband, my beloved husband, um, this summer. I'm going to Germany again on behalf of Steiff. I'm leading a tour of collectors. I am responsible for people res who are passionate about vintage items, and I'm going with my colleague, who is the current Steiff Club manager, who is responsible for collectors of all things new Steiff, and we're going to lead 30 to 40 collectors on a tour of uh, a, a little bit of Switzerland, but mostly Germany, of Steiff highlights, including museums and displays and the, fa and the factory and the Steiff festival, and that's happening this summer. So yes, I've been several times um, for Steiff and on my own, uh, and many of, most of that time was spent uh, looking for Steiff treasures. Ah, looking there. Uh -huh. um, now, you, we had talked briefly before, and you told me the story about your grandmother. Could you mind telling, telling the, our audience about that? Sure, of course. This is a, a really important part of my family's legacy, and it's a, a very important part of, of, of what, what makes Steiff so important to me as well. Um, back in the, um, the, the, the early to late 1930s, my grandmother was attending a convention in Berlin. It was a, she was very interested in becoming a librarian. So she attended a professional conference for librarians across Germany, and she threw her name into a, a hat, really a raffle, to, uh, to win one of several prizes, and one of those prizes happened to be a 60-centimeter Steiff teddy bear. And as, as the god smiled upon her, she, had, she won that bear at, at, the, um, at the convention as sort of a door prize. And they immediately became best and fast friends, and she, this bear was one of the most important um, pieces of, 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 of possessions that she had. Um, in the, er in the early 1940s, my grandmother, who was still living in Germany, um, she was tipped off by a boyfriend that if she didn't leave Germany tonight, she probably would never leave the country. And she took that advice to heart, and she grabbed the giant stiff teddy bear, a knapsack, and a pair, a clean pair of underwear, and ran to the, Fran the French border, where she lived for several years and met my grandfather. Um, so. It's, Steiff is a really important part of my life. If, if, if she didn't win that bear and take him with her, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. Yeah, that's funny how life turns like that. It is, and, and I was especially honored that Steiff chose to replicate this bear several years ago as part of their North American Limited Edition series. Oh. So, so my grandmother's story was told throughout the United States and really throughout the world of her remarkable journey with this bear and, and how important it is to the legacy of my family. That's a tremendous honor. Wow, wow. Now, I know you're a collector. How many pieces do you have in your collection? Well... Is your husband around? <laughs> my husband is not around. Okay. And, and I try to... Well, I probably have about at least 700 and most of these pieces date from the turn of last century through the 1960s, which is my, my favorite era. I also love pieces that were um, uh, 
additions created especially for FAO Schwarz. I have a very special affinity for that company for many reasons. So I have a, an entire collection of FAO Schwarz Stife um, exclusives, which bring me great joy and pleasure. And I also love items that uh, appear nowhere. In other words, they were created and there's no documentation about them. So they're mysterious. They're not in any catalog and they're, they're not in any reference book. So those give me, the mystery behind them is, 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 is intoxicating from a collector's perspective. While we're on that, how do you determine for certain that it was made by Stife if you can't identify the piece? Well, absolutely. Well, obviously, there's there's some factors that are very consistent over time, and that would be identification, such as the button in the ear, um, a chest tag, a, an ear tag. There might be a special, uh, if it was made in the late 1940s or early 1950s, there might be a, a U.S. zone tag sewn into a seam, which is was a requirement for production um, early post-World War II. Um, but oftentimes, there aren't those things, and so we, one has to rely on their, their really intimate knowledge of the construction of these items, um, the materials that would make them up, um, items that would be similar. It's, it's, it's very unusual for Stipe to create a really unusual one-off and you've never seen anything like it. Chances are it would have ears like this or eyes like this or a mm. posture like this. So you tend to, you can sort of extrapolate where the concept for this design would have come from based on other products. And um, I'm, I'm fairly confident in my ability to identify non-stife items without stife identification. However, nobody is, nobody is perfect, and I am absolutely blessed to have a, a global community of enthusiasts, much like myself, and we often share find, finds and items to see what each other thinks, um, which is a, a wonderful pleasure as well to be able to share one's knowledge across the world about, about these, these treasures. Anything exciting ever? pop up in one of these uh, shares you did? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it happens quite frequently. And what's amazing to me is even though I've been studying this brand extensively and passionately for perhaps the last 15 years, and, and daily I probably spend 30 to 60 minutes reading about the brand or, or studying it or reading a reference book just to keep sharp, it, it never ceases to amaze me that on a daily or weekly basis, something will pop up that none of us have seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think that really speaks very highly to how innovative and creative the Stife company truly is. Wow. Uh, if yep. people like, you know, <laughs> you know, like crazy people who love this brand and, and live by it and swear by it. I mean, a, a standing poodle with an open mouth and a <laughs> wagging tongue appears. You know, where'd this come from? <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's a delightful way to form a community, but just by showing something and having, having the world react to it. It's, 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 it's so exciting to be able to do that. Right, right. Now, let's go back to the beginning, Margareta Stife. Yes. Can you talk about how she began the whole company and how that all started? Absolutely. She's, she is truly a remarkable woman and one of my idols because when you think about the time which she was born, which was the mid-1800s in Germany, uh, she was born to a, a relatively large family. She uh, contracted polio at age two, and she was a woman living in Germany. And despite all of those, all of those facts and, and features, 
um, in her, her teenage years and in her 20s, she not only learned to play the zither, which is, sort of looks like a guitar without a neck, mm -hmm. it's a stringed instrument, not only did she master that so much to a point uh, that she was able to teach um, others to play the zither and make money from those lessons. Remember, she only had use of one half of her, one, one side of her body. She also took sewing lessons and became quite proficient in that. So she was very, she was very skilled in the, in her, in her remaining um, ability to, to, to create a living. She started a small uh, company creating felt undergarments for women in the, the late 1880s. Um, those would be things that you would wear under your skirts um, in the very cold uh, German winters, which sound dreadful and itchy to me, but apparently <laughs> keep me quite warm. Um, she discovered in a magazine, um, which she was, she was rather modern for her time, she received um, magazines, uh, the fashion magazines and women's magazines, and there was a pattern for a f an elephant made out of materials um, and she decided to, to take her felt and make this elephant out of felt. And it was supposed to be a pincushion, but it turned out to be a beloved toy and plaything. She made a couple of them, and, and children in her community really loved them, so she made a lot more. She started to sell those, and she realized that creating felt toys was far more interesting than creating itchy felt underskirts. And I can't blame her for that choice. Yeah. And, you know, 1880s came, 1890s, her toy de department and division is growing. She's now hiring people to work in her company. She has her own company um, outside of her home business. And by the 19, early 1900s, she had her own factory because she had been creating such popular items and the toys far overtook the, the felt undergarments. Um, you know, 19, 1902, the, teddy, the jointed teddy bear was invented via the help of her nephew, uh, Richard Steiff, and, and really the teddy bear just took off after that. Uh, by 1907, she, the Steiff company, in their own facilities and with their, their home workers, created almost a million teddy bears, which is an outst oh. astounding amount. When, when you think about what was happening in 19, 1906, 1907, these people created basically created a million bears which were distributed all over the world and and the company just blossomed from there wow that is amazing a million that's amazing now let me ask you something the the bears can be quite valuable i want to get into that a lot of the toys can but has anybody ever paid money for an undergarment well that's a really i've never ever been asked that and it's very interesting i've never actually even seen one but we are going to Germany this summer, and one of the highlights of the trip is Margareta's birth house, which also is the place that she also did a lot of her sewing. So I can report back to you once we return from that voyage if we get to see a, 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 a felt undergarment. I wonder if it has a little button button in it. Well, <laughs> probably, yeah. probably not. Those those didn't come on board in, until 1904, but there, there are items that Steiff created before the button, and those items are extremely precious and take a very careful eye to identify. I see, I see. Now let's see, there was the growler, the squeaky, the humpback. Now, what is the humpback exactly? What does that mean? The hump is, is, is referring to the, sh if you take a bear and look at it in profile, it's referring to the size of the hump. And the hump is actually not really on the back, it's at the, it's at sort of at the, 
at the base of the neck and a little bit downward. And you can, one of the things that we do as appraisers and, and, and people who identify and value these items is to look at the size of the hump and where it's located. And that, that in some respects um, helps to date the bear. The, bear. the hump was extremely prominent um, in the early, the turn of last century, and it's become less prominent um, as time moved forward. Um, so this kind of reminds me of Marty Feldman as Igor and Young Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> With the hump. Did you ever see that? His hump changed sides. Now that... Well, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sure, I'm sure he received his inspiration from Margareta Steiff and her bear, and her, and her bear evolution. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He was the, 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 the humpback from Notre Dame. I think that's what he was. Not the hunchback. But anyway, yes. um, so Margareta um, and their family was involved heavily in the, the uh, building of that business. Is the family still involved today? Yes, the, it's very fortunate that they are. There are great, great grandchildren who are involved in all aspects of the business and also on the board. And I think that adds, it, that helps keep it very authentic to, to Margareta's original vision of a of, of family enterprise f from Southern Germany. Uh-huh. Now, what would you consider the holy grail of Steiff? Well, that's a really, really good question. I think it would have to be a teddy bear only because that's really what the company's known for. I think the, the, the holiest grail, and I, can't, I really don't even know if one exists, would be an original string-jointed bear. And these bears uh, were invented uh, around 1902. And although there are pictures of them, there is not one in the Steiff archives, and no one has really ever seen one. And instead of cardboard discs for joints or metal discs, these had string jointing. Um, and I would think, just from a design perspective and, and knowing what the style of the bear was at the time, these were very heavy and clumsy and not terribly child or play friendly. But if one could find one of those, I think it would, um, I think many collectors would, would break into tears of joy. I think this, this, <laughs> the, second, the second holy grail, which is a lot more achievable, and I've actually had the remarkable and distinct pleasure of seeing two of these, is what we would call um, the rod bear. And this was the bear that was, came right after the string-jointed bear. And this bear was jointed with metal rods down the core of its body and across the shoulders and thighs to, keep the, to, to joint the bear. And these are very, very early bears, and they're extraordinarily rare and extraordinarily hard to find. And most of them had um, what's called a gutta percha, which mm -hmm. is a type of uh, sort of a, a, a plasticky, sort of, plastic, yeah. sort of a sealing wax nose. And what's remarkable about these bears is each of these noses was created by hand, so you would see the fingerprints of the actual artisan who was making the nose. I, I had the, the, the wonderful opportunity of visiting a colleague in Hawaii who has one of these in the most remarkable condition I've ever seen. And I blogged about this um, on my blog, My Stife Life, because collectors rarely, if ever, get access to even see such a bear. And I spent several hours photographing the bear because I wanted to capture all those details to provide my readers with, 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 with access to seeing the wonderful jointing, the wonderful nose, the materials, the proportions, the hump on the back and all of that. And I wrote a blog about that and it was one of my most highly trafficked blogs ever. 
Um, and most recently and completely unexpectedly, I was um, visiting Florida a few weeks ago and did, um, did some work with WorthPoint at the um, Miami International Show. And the next day went with colleagues from WorthPoint to the Miami Beach Antique Show and absolutely dropped my jaw to the floor was another one of these raw-jointed bears being displayed by um, one of the vendors. And I, I got the uh, unbelievable excitement of being able to hold him and, and video him and, and speak with the, the dealer about him as well. He was really remarkable. The, the dealer was asking about $30,000 for the bear, which is basically plus or minus what that bear would, would go for these days. It was a, a really stupendous experience. So before I go on to my next thing here, did I just hear you say your blog, and it's, is it called My Stife Life? It is. It's called My Stife Life, and my the blog um, is basically my ongoing love letter to Stife and the brand. I would say three out of four posts, what I try to do is answer questions that readers submit to me. Um, I take the most interesting or the most challenging ones and, and respond fully and comprehensively to those. Um, and I think that's exciting to readers because it's fun to see your name in print, but I'm also hopefully providing information people want to see because they're asking for it. I also once in a while blog about wonderful finds that, that I have come across in in my collection or are traveling or touring with Stife um, and, and taking uh, videos or what I call safaris of different things that I've seen on my travel. So I, I, try, to, I try to every week present my, my wonderful and loyal fans who I adore um, a new adventure and, and some learning. It's, 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 it's really a lot of fun to do. Great. So uh, for anyone listening to this, if you go to our website, antiqueauctionforum.com, I will have this uh, blog linked right underneath this particular podcast. So um, the thing I wanted to talk to you about is about, I'm going to say in the early 1990s, I remember driving in my car, and I think I was listening to public radio, and they were talking about a stife teddy bear where, uh, and I got kind of the backstory on this, and I don't know how much is true or not, that the owner wanted to buy it for his wife or something like that. And yeah. he, he left a buy bid and it went for, go ahead, you know about this, so go ahead. I, I, I certainly do. This is a really cool story. This happened in actually 1989. Um, and this, this happened at Sotheby's. And what had happened is that there's a, a, a wonderful couple who has collected stuff for many years, Rosemary and Paul uh, Volpe. And apparently for their anniversary, Rosemary saw this bear listed at Sotheby's um, and said, I'd really love this. And so Paul um, worked with a, a, a buyer's agent, which is not unusual when you're dealing at an auction of this caliber. And he told the, the, um, his, his, his dealer, please, there's, you know, whatever it takes, make, make this happen. I really want to get this bear for my wife. So, um, his dealer, his broker, went to the auction on behalf of him um, and, and bid and bid and bid. And it turned out this bear went, at the time, was a record price for about $86,000, which is really amazing even today. It turns out that the, the, the dealer was bidding against the royal family. Uh. <laughs> Of London, so 
Um, that's kind of an interesting challenge, but I guess pers perseverance uh, wins out in the long run, and he did get the bear for $86,000. It's a delightful bear. It's from about 1926. Um, it's got gigantic, huge uh, black and brown pupil eyes. It's a tipped mohair. When you think of beautiful stife bears from the 1920s, this is a perfect example of one. It's, it's what I call the three Fs. It's kind of fluffy, it's kind of fun, and it's very feminine. It's a delightful and happy bear. Um, and actually the bear is called Happy because it was the happy anniversary gift. Huh. Uh, uh -huh. I, I, I had the, the wonderful experience of, of meeting the fellow who was the, the, the broker and buyer for this bear. And we were talking about his experience, which sounded fascinating. And he said, I want to show you something that you'll, you'll probably understand. And he opened his wallet and he pulled out the canceled check that was used to pay for the bear. <laughs> so he still carries that around with him, even though he purchased the bear in 1989. So apparently it was a highlight for him as well. Yeah, um, I remember hearing the buzz about this because I don't remember what the highest Stife bear ever sold was, but this was way higher than anything else previous. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And, and the, the, the highest price ever paid for a Stife bear, and I must uh, caveat this, that it's, this is not an old bear. This is a new bear sold in um, 2000 for almost $200,000. This was a new bear that was dressed in Louis Vuitton clothing. Now, I, which I would have loved as well to be yeah. not only have the spare, but to be dressed in Louis Vuitton clothing. But this was, <laughs> spare was auctioned off and is, is now living in Korea. But it is a modern bear with a full Louis Vuitton wardrobe. Now, was this like at a benefit auction or something? Or I, Yes, it was a charity auction. It was a charity auction. And uh, the bear now lives in the Teddy Bear Museum in Korea. That was close to $200,000. So. Wow. Well, now, um, I like the way you say they live here and they live there and all that stuff. Now, I, I think that uh, one thing I've noticed, I've had, uh, I don't know, dozens and dozens of bears over the years through auctions, and they all have, they all have different personality looks to them. Well, that's absolutely correct, and that's a wonderful point. I think um, one of the things that makes Stife Bears so really wonderful and unique is that you are able, for instance, I probably have you know, 25 of the same design. And one would say, well, that's crazy. But it's not because the faces are all done individually by hand. So it's, it's like having individual children. It's quite possible to have two bears that were made exactly at the same time and perhaps one after the other. But because the noses and the mouths and all of that is inserted and embroidered by hand, it is a distinct and, and one-of-a-kind piece. So I completely understand what you're saying. And that's one of the joys that come with collecting is is putting a whole bunch of the same style and make together and to realize how you know the spectrum of personalities that the bears have just by the position of the nose or the eyes or just a stitch here or there makes all the difference in the world for expression right right now i've noticed a, a lot of them you know the condition issues with a lot of them because they're loved so much but um some of them or a lot of them have replaced pads and yes. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what does restoration mean to a bear as far as, uh, how does it hurt it as far as its value? Okay, well that's a really good question and there's two ways of looking at it. In some cases, well let me first tell you my advice on restoration. My advice on restoration is if you have a piece that you absolutely love and it's been in your family for a very long time and your goal is to keep it in your family for a long time, 
I would absolutely do what it takes to bring that piece so it's structurally stable. And that would mean that there are no open holes in it, meaning that insects or parasites could get into the item and, and, and eat some of the insides, which is kind of disastrous. Um, or replace holes or sew up holes or replace, replace other things that, that might get worse over time. If you have a piece that is um, relatively common in production or in the line or uh, you're trying to make money off of it, it might not necessarily be the best place to make that restoration because restoration itself, if done correctly, is extremely expensive if it's, if it's done in a way to preserve the value. In terms of restoration, if you do have a piece that, for instance, the paw pad is, is really a, a, has a giant hole in it, stuff, the, the excelsior or wood wool is coming out, or perhaps the stuffing has collapsed, which happens often with older bears that are stuffed with wood wool, it's probably in the bear's best interest and your best interest to have that fixed, because if you don't, it's just going to get worse and fall apart, and then it's worth nothing at all. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen uh, them with a lot of the... Uh the wood, uh, whatever it is, straw, like it looks like straw, but mm -hmm. just falling out of them when you pick them up, you know? That, that's, that's, that's not good for the bear, and that's, that's, that's not good for you either. <laughs> and that's I would I would probably encourage people to replace. And a good restoration does, would never decrease the value of a bear because a falling apart bear is, is practically worth nothing. It, it would retain its value, or perhaps if done, in a beautifully, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very museum quality way, could even increase the value. Now, are there people that specialize in uh, restoration of, of uh, Stife toys? Yes, there are. The, there's, there are people who do this professionally, and I also understand that the Stife company itself does certain repairs on its own items. However, it's important for the listeners to understand that no reputable restorer would ever reinsert a button or any identification that is that is completely unethical and even stife if you sent a bear back to stife would not rebutton a bear once the button once the item leaves the factory with the button that's it what happens to the button um, it, it cannot be replaced yeah I noticed uh, I've seen a number of them over the years where the button was gone so they either fell out or did people take them out Yes, it could. It, it absolutely could be one of those two things, or something else. Even there's there's several button styles that were held on by loose prongs, so it was very easy for them to fall out. Uh, also, parents tended to remove the buttons, thinking the children would choke on them, mm -hmm. um, and that and that that happens a lot too. Towards the the. the uh, about the the late 70s, early 80s, the buttons became much more conscious about security and choking issues and were really bolted on. So if you see a, a newer item with a gaping hole in its ear, that means that someone tried to remove the safety button, which I would never in a million years recommend doing. <laughs> right, right. The bear would say is number one. What is What would you say are runner-ups? Well, there are certain items and designs that are absolute collector's favorites that and many of them sort of launched in the in the 20s and, and 30s. I would say people absolutely adore um, a design that came out um, in the late 1920s called Teddy Baby. And this design is, is totally adorable and very endearing and came in sizes. Uh, I've seen them from, I think the smallest is 9 or 10 centimeters. The largest is, is, is literally life size. This is a very sweet design to look like a bear cub. 
It has um, delightful flat feet for standing. It has curved spooned paws, very, very childlike, and a, a happy uh, insert muzzle. The larger sizes um, are, are smiling with open mouths. They're absolutely precious and adorable. People love those. People also love the, um, the what you had mentioned before, the happy anniversary or those, those 1920s tipped bears, beloved. That bear also came in a very happy pink and yellow. People love those, they're, they're, they're classic and charming. Uh, that bear also was produced as a clown called Teddy Clown. It had the same giant eyes and fluffy feminine personality. It came with a clown's hat and ruff, also incredibly beloved by collectors. Is there an association for like a collector's club? Yes, Stife. Germany and Stife USA both run um, divisions of the Stife Club, and it's very easy to join if you're if you are in Europe. That you would just go simply go to the Stife um, site and sign up there. The site here in the United States is is stifeusa.com, and simply click on Stife Club, and you join the club, which allows you to receive um, a little teddy um, bear each year. Um, information about Stife happenings and access to the website, and also a quarterly magazine which touches upon both new items and vintage items. It's a really nice magazine and uh, very professionally done. Mm -hmm. I always ask a lot of people this question that I interview, and what has the internet changed in the collecting of Stife? Oh, it's it's made it it's made it incredibly interesting and universal and instantaneous. I think through the power of Facebook, one is able to really discover who are the collectors around the world and, and have an ongoing and active dialogue. Um, I current I, I run the um, the Stife. I'm the administrator for the Stife Facebook page, and the logo for that is our, is the is the yellow um, ear tag. When I started the site, I was actually asked by a random stranger who had started it to, to could be the, would I be the administrator? And I said, well, why would I ever want to do that? But I, I said, yes, I would do that. And now we have, a, <laughs> we have, we have almost 5,000 people who, who check in with us very regularly. We post wonderful content and finds and questions and polls and engage people about their collections. We, we have people who post seasonal things and people who post birthday things and people who want to know what something is or what something is worth. Um, it, it's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating and evolving community. What I what I love about it is that stuff is posted in every language you can think of, meaning uh, that this brand has touched people in, in four corners of the world. The only thing about the Stife Facebook page, which I'm adamant about, is that the page is simply for the love and delight of collecting vintage Stife. If somebody posts an offer or a, a sale or something on eBay, I immediately delete it. And I remind people that this is non-commercial. This is the NPR of, of, of Stife. It's purely for the love of the brand. But that has enabled a, a, a basically a congregation of almost 5,000 people to talk about the brand on a regular basis. Um, and it's just delightful. I think Twitter is a, another interesting use of social media for collecting. I, I, I use it when I announce things, like announcing new blog posts. I was... I also used Twitter. Um, I attended the, the remarkable 2010 Christie's auction in London of, of a giant Stife collection, and I tweeted the entire auction from oh. live from the auction floor. Wow. And, 
And that was truly remarkable. My, 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 my hostess at Christie's, who was a, a very kind and generous person, that she said I was the first person who tweeted an auction from, from their, from their auction floor, and that was that was so much fun. And I was actually quoted in their, uh, in their press release, and then quoted in a Bloomberg article about the auction. I think that's what social media does: is it, it opens up what was previously unaccessible or, or hidden or private or quiet to the world so we all can engage in something we love and, and, and do it in a really public way. Well, what, where would someone find your Facebook page? How would they find it? Just, just a search for Stife. And then you just like it? And you just like it, and you, we welcome with open arms and teddy hugs people who collect and people who, who think about Stife and write about Stife and, and collect Stife. And even if you just have one piece in your collection, or it's not even a collection if you grew up with Stife, or even if you like the brand and don't even have any in your personal possession, you are, you are welcome to join our community. Oh, I actually have a like page, too, for this antique auction forum, anyone out there. Please like away. So um, you've been great, Rebecca. One more question. Can someone send you pictures of their Stife? Absolutely. And that's wonderful. And it's very interesting for me. I'm, 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 even after doing this for so many years, I'm always really amazed and delighted to see questions in my inbox. I find it really flattering and exciting. It, it's a challenge for me in many cases to identify and, and value items, but it, it makes me better at what I do, and it helps mm -hmm. to provide people with information on what they have. You are, you are welcome to um, email me pictures and descriptions of what you have, and I will, you know, as, as best as I can, help you identify. I'm, I'm not a quote-unquote legal appraiser. I believe something is worth what someone will pay, but I've been studying the brand on a daily and hourly basis for about the last 15 years, so I'm pretty confident about what things are selling for and, and, and the, the demand for them um, at any given time. Great. Well, if it's okay with you, I will make a little click link that will pop up into an email so someone can email you directly under your podcast here. I look forward to the inquiries. Great. I absolutely love having enthusiastic people. I believe it's uh, people like you that keep this business going, the collecting going, and thank you so much for doing that. It's been my pleasure. Have a great evening. All right. So this is Martin Willis with Rebecca Kaufman, the Stife Gal. And we're signing off. Whoops, before we go, I have a couple of announcements. First of all, our message board was shut down for several months because of spammers. That has been fixed. Uh, we lost all our message board people. Please come back. And if you'd like to join the message board, please go to our website and click on the forum link. You can listen to us on Stitcher on your smartphone. We have that app for free right on our website. You can like us on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Both icons are right on our page, antiqueauctionforum.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.